you're invited to the block party. Here's your hosts, Ben Curtis and Kevin F. McNulty. Welcome, everyone, inside episode three of Block Party, the official Maryland volleyball podcast for WMUC Sports. He's Kevin McNulty. I'm Ben Curtis. Thanks so much for joining us. And, Kevin, we are into the swing of things now, episode number three. Yeah, we're really getting going here. I tweeted out with our last episode that it's November and we're used to having uh, collegiate volleyball going on. So we got a lot to talk about today. Uh, Big Ten volleyball-wise, and uh, I'm really excited. Um, we're getting a little closer to that January 20, 22nd date, I think it is, where you know the first possible game uh, and match could be played. Yeah, creeping ever closer to hopefully getting volleyball underway. As, as Kevin said, normally nowadays we'd be able to talk about matches that Maryland's playing, but we're going to do the next best thing and, and preview what a 2021 spring season could look like. Like Kevin mentioned, today we are going to be going around the rest of the Big Ten. This is going to be the Big Ten preview uh, podcast episode. We're going to look at all the other teams. We have an awesome guest coming on a little bit later. Uh, Rachel Blount is going to be joining the show from the Minneapolis Star Tribune. She covered the Gophers run all the way to the national semifinal last year, and she had a lot of really interesting things to say about how Hugh McCutcheon's squad is handling uh, COVID protocols and what that team might look like in the future. So, Kevin... Uh, to start off, we're going to take a look at the rest of the Big Ten. Uh, we're going to go from, from worst to first last year in terms of the standings from a year ago and look at who Maryland's opponents might be. We'll start off with the Rutgers Scarlet Knights, finished last in the Big Ten last year, went 2-18. and 18. Maryland took their only matchup in four sets uh, back on October the 12th. They had a couple of decent wins. Northwestern and Iowa were wins number two and three since the Scarlet Knights joined the conference back in 2014. So program in the right direction. There wasn't really a whole lot of wrong direction that they, that they had, but don't really see them being a factor this year. No, and they haven't been since they, they joined the Big Ten. I mean, Maryland was in a similar boat until 2017-2018 when they were above 500 finally in 2018, almost making the NCAA tournament. But last year, Maryland had a really good weekend uh, when they played Rutgers, beat them uh, three, three sets to one. That was coming off of their their five-set bout with Penn State, um, where they ended up losing. But it, it was a really positive weekend uh, for the Terps last year. And if Rutgers is on the schedule twice in this upcoming season in, in 2021, which I would expect they would because they're the closest school uh, to us here in Maryland, that's a series that Maryland really needs to go 2-0. Uh, there, there's not a lot of wiggle room with, with teams at the bottom of the conference when you're trying to get sneak in to the NCAA tournament, you got to defeat the teams you're supposed to beat. Yeah, it's, it's a Rutgers team that hasn't had a winning conference season since 2001, back in the old days of what the Big East used to look like. Of course, now that conference looks uh, unrecognizable from, from those days in the early 2000s. A team that Maryland did go 2-0 against last year. Uh, we'll talk about next, the Indiana Hoosiers. Both games went to five, or both matches, should I say, went to five sets. Indiana went 3-17 and 17 last year. They stole a set against Wisconsin, uh, and they returned Brianna Edwards, who was their 2019 kill leader. Uh, she's now a junior, and, and you know whenever Steve Aird is running the show over in Bloomington, you're going to get a program that's going to have some respectable performances. It looked like Indiana battled hard all of last season, just couldn't put together enough matches uh, to get that record up. But uh, they're going to be a team that, once again, Maryland's going to have to play hard. Uh, like I said, both matches last year went all five sets. And that's what it was. They, they battled. And, you know, we talked about them stealing a set from Wisconsin. That's a pretty big deal for a program like Indiana, kind of similar to Maryland going five sets with Penn State. I mean, those are 
the blue bloods of, of college volleyball, you know, Penn State, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Nebraska, which we'll talk about a little later. But yeah, this Indiana team really fought hard in both matches against Maryland last season. You talked about Steve Aird being over there. He actually took the job at Indiana right as they decided they were going to build a new volleyball facility. So, you know, that's attractive to a lot of recruits. Uh, a lot of recruits just want to play in the Big Ten, even if it's not one of those top schools. They want to play at the highest level. Big Ten volleyball is the highest level. And this Indiana team, they're going to stay, you know, they finished in the bottom half of the conference, but they're going to be relevant for yeah, the foreseeable it, future. It seems like one of these teams, Indiana, is that, you know, like I said, they finished 3-17 and 17 last year, but whenever you see them on the schedule, you kind of groan because uh, they're not really a team that you want to have to play against. They're going to give you a really, really tough battle every single match. Uh, next is Iowa. They went 4-16 and 16 last year. They beat Maryland in the season finale. This is going to be a weird team this year that Vicki Brown has because at the time that we're taping this roster, there are no seniors listed on the roster for the Hawkeyes this year. We talked in episodes one and two about the importance of senior leadership for Maryland, and there's some other teams in the Big Ten this year with even more seniors that we'll talk about in a little bit. But in, in a season unlike any other, having zero seniors on your team is going to be a, a challenge for Vicki Brown. Yeah, they're kind of a wild card, you know. Um, didn't perform so well last year. They did handily beat Maryland in the in the final match of the season. Maryland went 2-0 and against them in 2018, and that's what I would kind of expect from Adam Hughes' squad uh, in 2021. You know, young Iowa team that, that we're talking about, Maryland's got a lot of senior leadership, starting with Erica Pritchard, that should be able to take advantage of younger players on the other side of the net. A, a team that we'll talk about next, Northwestern, was just about evenly matched with Maryland in every capacity that you could look at. They both went 5-15 and 15 in conference last year. They played 10 sets between the two uh, matches. They each won five sets, and they split the season series. They had stretches of looking really good, the Wildcats did. They swept Ohio State. Uh, they swept Michigan State. Uh, and they have an outside hitter who's now into her sophomore season, uh, Temi Palasailara, who is a Big Ten all-freshman uh, team member who's going to be coming back into her sophomore campaign. She's going to be looking for a really good sophomore season. But they hit a stretch. I don't know who it was that made this schedule for Northwestern, but they hit a four-game stretch in mid-October, right as they were starting to hit their stride. How do you like versus Wisconsin, versus Purdue, at Minnesota, at Wisconsin? That, that's four games, and the – the Wildcats lost all 12, which there's certainly no shame in losing all 12 sets versus those four teams because that's an incredibly brutal stretch, and Northwestern never really got a whole lot of momentum after that. Yeah, and it's tough to come back after going up against those four teams. And Maryland had a similar – they had a shortened bit of that. They had a weekend where they went up against Minnesota and Wisconsin at home, went 0-6. As expected, since they were they were missing uh, their best middle blocker and Katie Myers that weekend as well. But Northwestern also kind of up and coming. I'll tell you, Thomas Alera was the most impressive freshman I we saw across the Big Ten last year, and one of the most impressive players. Uh, you know, right up there with Dan Recchi of Wisconsin. She's only a freshman. She's going to get better. Almost 400 kills a year ago. Uh, Northwestern was evenly matched with Maryland last season, and I would expect that in the future. A team next that we'll talk about, Michigan State, that isn't really far off, in my opinion. They went 6-14 and 14 last year. They 
Looked good against teams like Nebraska and Minnesota. They took sets from each of those. They pushed a really good Purdue team to five sets. Couldn't ever really put together uh, the big win. They have six seniors coming up uh, in 2021 spring, I guess, in this 2020-2021 season. So this is a team that I wouldn't want to play against if, if I'm one of the teams in kind of this middle pack of, of the Big Ten. I think they're a team that's not far away from jumping into that kind of second tier where Illinois and Michigan lives. Yeah, Michigan State's been a really impressive program for a long time, the Big Ten. You know, they have to go up against teams like Penn State and, you know, those in the top of the conference, and they, they always find a way to hold their own. Uh, they split the season series with Maryland a year ago, and the game that uh, – the match that Maryland won, they were really happy to have. Uh, it was a tough point in the season in October, and they found a way to win it three to two in college park. And, you know, that's a team where if Maryland sees them on the schedule twice, uh, you know, they'll, they'll be lucky to go, go two and oh, I mean, they split with them last year, um, but it could be a completely different Michigan state volleyball team this year. And as we're ascending up the, the standings, uh, we're going from the, the worst team in, in 2019 record wise in the conference to the best. We reached the final team that missed the NCAA tournament last year, the Ohio state Buckeyes. Uh, which swept Maryland. The Terps only won one set uh, in 2019. The Buckeyes went 8-12, and 12, and they turned a lot of heads back on November the 8th when they beat the Wisconsin Badgers in four sets. They also pushed Purdue to five sets. They ended up losing to the Boilermakers, but what a signature win that was for the Buckeyes program back in November. Kylie Murr is going to be the big player to watch for the Buckeyes. Uh, she was an all-freshman uh, Big Ten member last year. She was also on the second team, all Big Ten team. She led the conference and almost five digs per set, 4.9 in total and 4.6 in conference play. So when you have a team that knows how to, to slay the, the giant, if it were, uh, and a player like Murr, they're going to be dangerous once again. Yeah, you mentioned Ohio State missed the NCAA tournament last year, and they were really disappointed with that outcome. Uh, you know, 8-12 just didn't cut it in the Big Ten Conference. But that signature win against Wisconsin, they swept Maryland, which, you know, if you want to be in the NCAA tournament, you should probably, you know, sweep teams that are in the bottom five of the conference. Um, and they're trending upward. In 2018, Maryland swept the series, and then Ohio State flipped it back around last year, and, and they get a really tough squad. A team that is trending upwards in uh, Ohio State, a team that might be trending the other way, to be fair, in Illinois – uh, they got bounced in the first round last year uh, from the NCAA tournament. Uh, they were in the final four in 2018, but in 2019, they lost in the first round uh, to Utah. They were 11-9 in, in conference play, which is a strong record, uh, but they were 0-6 against the, the big four, if we'll call it, of Penn State, Minnesota, Nebraska, and Wisconsin. They're also losing two of their best players from that 2019 season. Here in 2020, Jacqueline Quaid and Ashley Fleming, who were in the first team and second team, all Big Ten teams respectively. Uh, so a lot of the onus is going to fall on setter Diana Brown, who's going to have to have a really strong season after she was named to the all-freshman team a year ago. And this is a team in Illinois that's going to have to get some traction because they're moving in the wrong direction. Yeah, the, the loss to Jacqueline Quaid is really significant. She was a big piece uh, of that uh, team that made the run two years ago in the NCAA tournament. And, you know, this is definitely an opportunity for, for Maryland to grow in this upcoming season is, you know, take a match from Illinois. They haven't won in a couple of years. They haven't won a set in a couple of years. Even last year, they got swept at home 3-0. Uh, they was still a very good Illinois team. 
last year, but just not on the upper echelon of the conference, so to speak. So, you know, presents an opportunity for the Terps, in my opinion. Yeah, if you're looking at kind of the, the, the top half, I guess, of the conference of the teams that made the tournament last year as a, a game that you can maybe pick off if you're Adam Hughes, I would circle the Illini on, on my schedule because uh, that's a, a winnable game, in my opinion, or at least a vulnerable team, uh, perhaps in 2021 spring. Now we move on to Michigan, uh, who had a, a big, big win. Maryland did over the Wolverines back in 2018. That was their, one of their big signature wins under the Adam Hughes era. They went 13-7 and seven last year in conference. They made it to the second round of the NCAA tournament, ran into a really hot Wildcats team, uh, really hot Kentucky Wildcats team, should I say, uh, and got swept Kentucky this year, who's playing in the SEC. So they're playing in 2020. They're 6-0, and and they've lost three sets total in six matches. So uh, something's brewing in, in Kentucky uh, on the volleyball court. They took Minnesota to five sets in the regular season. They had a really good win over Illinois. In fact, two good wins over the course of the same five-game win streak uh, in November. And they're returning Paige Jones, who is going to be one of the most dangerous players in the Big Ten this season. Unanimous first-team All-Big Ten last year. Uh, Third-team All-American last year. And she averaged almost four kills per set, and she played in all 32 games, had 16 kills and in only three sets in that 3 nothing sweep over the Terps this season. She is going to be a force to be reckoned with in 2021. Yeah, Michigan's a team that comes in, they take care of business. Uh, you know, two years ago, Maryland had that upset win when they were ranked 15th in the country. Last year, they came in College Park. They didn't mess around. They, they won in straight sets, 3 to nothing. Uh, and... and Paige Jones is is quite incredible. Um, you know, they got bounced in the second round last year, but they're headed back to the NCAA tournament, I, I will tell you, next year. Uh, that's my prediction, even though it's only a 48-team field. And, you know, they have a chance to, to go somewhere. Yeah, this is going to be a Michigan team that is going to be dangerous and I think can take even that, that extra step up uh, towards the, the top of the Big Ten standings. Uh, next, we find the Purdue Boilermakers, who went 14-6 and six last year, uh, where the 16 seed in the NCAA tournament went to the third round, which was the Sweet 16, before they ran into the number one overall seed, Baylor, and, and lost to the Bears. We talked about Northwestern having a tough scheduling luck, I guess. How about Purdue having to start off the season in 2019 at Wisconsin, at Minnesota? Uh, that, that's not the way you want to start off the, the season. Purdue lost both of those games. But on the back end of the season, they had a lot of success. They won six straight games in a row heading into the tournament, including back-to-back against a Michigan team that, that we mentioned is a really good ball club. Uh, and junior Grace Cleveland is, go- is going to be coming back after she was a first-team All-Big Ten selection unanimously last year. Maryland pretty much neutralized her in their only matchup uh, last season back on November the 16th. She only had eight kills, but, but Purdue still swept in that one, Kevin. Yeah, that was a game very – Terps were traveling through Indiana. They won in five sets the night before in Bloomington and traveled up to West Lafayette where, you know, they didn't have enough uh, to overcome the Boilermakers and and they won three sets to zero. But, you know, that was encouraging, you know, shutting down Cleveland for the most part, only eight kills, you know, keep the best outside hitter on on your opponent's team under 10 and you're sitting pretty. But uh, on the other hand, their offensive attack was lacking. that night and Purdue is really an impressive program uh, and they, they showed it last year and they were 14 and 6. You want to talk about encouraging signs for Maryland against uh, against a really top team we find the Penn State Nittany Lions who Maryland came pretty darn close to beating a, a year ago. Penn State went 2-0 last year ended up 
sweeping one matchup. The other matchup went all five sets. And Nittany Lion team that went 17 and three last year, and the only three losses were to Wisconsin, Nebraska, and Minnesota, the other three teams of the, the so-called Big Four in, in Big Ten college volleyball. They went to the Elite Eight of the tournament as the number 11 seed uh, before losing to the eventual champion, Stanford, and they are returning two unanimous first-team All-Big Ten players. So you look at this Penn State roster, and it kind of blows you away, as do the other three teams in, in the Big Ten Big Four that we'll talk about in a little bit. But when you look back last year at Maryland, We've talked about it before. Perhaps their best game of the season wasn't even a win. It was that five-set loss to Penn State. Yeah, that, that match was certainly up there. You know, Penn State, it, we've mentioned it, blue blood of college volleyball. And they haven't won a national championship since 2014. And that's somewhat of a disappointment for Russ Rose. And he's got a lot of returning players. Uh, you mentioned a couple of them, uh, Caitlin Horde and Johnny Parker. Uh, really, really, really impressive players. And I remember going back when they played at State College, Adam Hughes' hometown, uh, Adam Hughes' old coach in Russ Rose. He really wanted to have that match in which they, they lost three to two. You know, one of these days, Adam Hughes is going to beat his old coach, his old school. Uh, I don't know when it's going to be because uh, Penn State is still going to be one of the best teams in the country next season. And now we get to the number three team in the conference a year ago, Minnesota. We'll talk a little bit more in depth with them, uh, or about them, should I say, with Rachel Blount, who will join us in a little bit. Uh, She's a beat writer from the Minneapolis Star Tribune. But last year against Maryland, I thought the Terps had a really good performance. The the Gophers still swept them, but Maryland was missing Katie Myers. And and the Terps still still got 21, 19, and 21 in the three sets. Like I said, no Katie Myers. And this was a Minnesota team that went to the final four uh, in the Elite they, they did get to avoid the number two overall seed because, because Louisville had upset the Texas Longhorns. So it was a bit of an easier path, perhaps, to the Final Four for Minnesota. But still, when you take a team that went to the Final Four and play them hard without maybe your best player, who's now going to be a member of the, the Golden Gophers and KD Myers, that's an encouraging sign. Yeah, how, how ironic that uh, Katie Myers wasn't playing in the only match where Minnesota came and played Maryland last season. And we talked to Rachel uh, about, you know, the upcoming Minnesota team. And she didn't know much about Katie Myers because, you know, she, she wasn't playing in that, that match. And, you know, I think she's, she's going to be surprised at, at what Katie Myers can bring to the table. You know, she's probably not going to be a star on a team like Minnesota, a uh, perennial powerhouse. But Katie Myers is going to be a, a really good piece for them. Uh, it might be sad for, for Maryland fans to hear. Um, but Minnesota is a really, really good volleyball program, and Katie Myers is going to fit in pretty well there, I think. And in that Minnesota-Maryland game, we kind of got a glimpse of the future, a glimpse of, of 2021 spring, or what we thought would be 2020 season, uh, when Raynell Jones had eight blocks. Uh, in place of Katie Myers. That was a big part of why Maryland was able to stay in that game. And it's perhaps an encouraging sign for the future for Maryland. Yeah, I remember Minnesota being pretty frustrated with Raynell Jones up the middle because she, she was getting her hands on everything. And that's something that Minnesota wasn't expecting coming into that match. So we'll move now to Nebraska, who finished second last season. They went 17-3 and three and went to the Elite Eight before losing to the Wisconsin Badgers, who we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, the Badgers were Wisconsin, or were Nebraska, should I say, kryptonite uh, in 2019. That was a really good Cornhuskers team 
but they faced off with Wisconsin three times, including once in the tournament in the Elite Eight, and the Badgers took all nine sets. I don't know what it was about Wisconsin versus Nebraska, but they just had their number in 2019. Uh, Nebraska's still returning a whole lot of really good players. Lawrence Diverns uh, was a unanimous first-team All-Big Ten uh, player last year. She was an All-American last year. She's going to be excellent again. Lexi Sun uh, was first-team All-Big Ten last year as well, and there is a lot, a lot of optimism around this team uh, within the program, outside the program, in, in the state of Nebraska in general. Um, the Omaha World Herald uh, ran an article a couple of days ago calling this team, uh, quote, a dream team. This is a team that a lot of people think are going to go all the way or go really, really deep in case they needed any more uh, talent. They added Kayla Caffey as a transfer from Missouri last year. She was second in the SEC in hitting percentage. So you take a team last year uh, that uh, had a whole lot of talent and you add a transfer from Missouri who was second in the SEC last year in hitting percentage and the number one overall recruit. Uh, according to prepvolleyball.com. So this is a, a Nebraska team that is loaded with talent, loaded with optimism, and the expectations are sky high this year. Yeah, and Coach John Cook, he knows those expectations are there, and he doesn't care because he is confident in his players to go out and go really deep into the NCAA tournament. And by really deep, I mean the national championship. Either, you know, they were runner runners up two years ago, uh, champions in – 2015 and 2017 um, the Nebraska program is really just creme de la creme uh, for teams around the country and they sell out uh, 8,000 seats for, for every home game I don't know what that'll be like in the spring but that's certainly a factor when Maryland went there last year I remember talking to you know freshman Rebecca Rath um, about playing in that environment she frankly said it was really really difficult because you know even even if the Xfinity Center uh, pavilion is, is packed with 2,500 people, it sounds a little different when there's 8,500 people. Yeah, they, they really love their, their Cornhuskers over there in Nebraska. They streamed a scrimmage uh, a couple of, of days ago uh, that Nebraska had just to get their players back on the, on the court. And they had apparently more than 10,000 views of that scrimmage online. That, that's remarkable. That shows the, the kind of passion that Cornhuskers fans have for that program. And I think you're right. I think it's final four or bust for, for Nebraska this season. Who knows what the tournament is going to look like with that 48 team bracket. The Cornhuskers should get in no problem, but the tournament might look a little bit different, but I, I agree with you. I think that this is a season where Nebraska needs to, to at least get back to the final four. And I think that they will. Now a team that did go to the final four last year, went all the way to the national championship game and were the big 10 regular season champions as well. The Wisconsin Badgers who uh, made quick work of Maryland last season, went 2-0 against the Terps, took all six sets. They had that tough loss to Ohio State, that shocker loss, and a loss to Penn State, the Badgers did. And they made it to the national championship game before being swept by Stanford. The Cardinal had to run through, I think, three Big Ten teams in the NCAA tournament. And all Wisconsin's doing is going to return three members of the first team, all Big Ten team. No, no big deal there, uh, including uh, Sidney Hilly, who was a unanimous selection, and a first team All-American. Uh, and the Big Ten Player of the Year last year, and Dana Recchi, uh, who was also the Big Ten Female Athlete of the Year across all sports in 2019-2020. So this is a Wisconsin team that's going to throw a lot of challenges at any team that they face. No, and, and they expect the same thing as Nebraska. They expect to be there the last weekend of the season, especially when you're returning a player like Dana Recchi, Big Ten Female Athlete of the Year, 
she deserved all of the accolades that she got last year. We saw it when she came to Maryland, 17 kills, just took care of business. She's an incredible athlete. She stands six foot eight, taller than anyone else uh, Maryland saw last year. And she just lets her presence be known when she's on the court and, you know, carries the Wisconsin team on her shoulders with a lot of other talent that's surrounding her as well. Wisconsin, definitely one of the blue bloods in college volleyball. Minnesota, another one of the blue bloods in college volleyball. We talked a little bit about them. And, you know, we've been talking about Maryland volleyball and how they've been dealing with COVID and dealing with this strange 2020. Uh, But you have to remember that every other team in college volleyball is going through the exact same thing, including a team as high profile as the Minnesota Golden Gophers. And as I mentioned, we were able to have a conversation uh, with Minneapolis Star Tribune writer Rachel Blount about how the Gophers are handling uh, 2020 and how they're handling these new COVID protocols. So this was our conversation with Minneapolis Star Tribune writer Rachel Blount. And we are very pleased to be joined now by Rachel Blount of the Minneapolis Star Tribune. Rachel, thank you so much for taking the time and speaking with us today. Glad to be here. So you cover, obviously, the University of Minnesota Volleyball had a phenomenal season last year, but 2020 is different. 2020 is strange for so many reasons, obviously. Now it's November. We would usually be talking about coming down the home stretch in a volleyball season. Now we're all waiting for the season to start. How have you seen the Gophers uh, as another team in the Big Ten kind of adapt to a new COVID world with these uh, new COVID protocols in a fall training season instead of a, a fall playing season? You know, Hugh McCutcheon is a very calm, very measured sort of person. So he's exactly the right kind of coach for a situation like this. He made sure that nobody freaked out, nobody got nervous, that everybody just sort of took these things in stride. His message to the team has been, have a great today and don't worry about tomorrow. The team assembled in, uh, I believe it was late June when everybody was on campus and they went through all their normal preseason stuff until they got the word from the Big Ten that the season would be postponed until the spring. But they decided that they would continue exactly as they had planned to. They had uh, eight hours, NCAA allows you uh, eight hours a week of volleyball up until the full practices of 20 hours started, uh, I believe about 10 days ago. And McCutcheon was very pleased with how everything went. They're integrating some fantastic new freshmen. They had the nation's number one recruiting class last year. Those players seem to be integrating very well. And McCutcheon also said that a number of the returnees really came back in better shape and with better skills than they had had last year. People like Stephanie Samdi, Reagan Pittman, Adonna Rollins, CeCe McGraw. He was very pleased at the improvements that they made over the summer. And that's what they worked on as well in that June through October period with skill development. In addition to integrating those freshmen, They had a lot of teaching time with their returnees, and so he was very happy with the way that they were able to use that time for skill development, and now they're working more on systems and all those things that are more preparation for the actual season to begin. And and Rachel, with the NCAA tournament moving to the spring, but you have some conferences like the ACC and SEC playing volleyball right now, you've seen Minnesota go deep into NCAA tournaments. Do you think that puts the Big Ten at an advantage or disadvantage that they're going to be 
playing right up until the NCAA tournament. McCutcheon seems to think that's helpful to them. He doesn't think they will miss anything by not having a fall season. He, he seems to think that that's, that's not going to be a detriment to them. And the 22 matches that they are looking at having is, uh, he thought, was a really good number for, how was it that he put it, a meaningful amount of competition uh, that, that would prepare them well for the NCAA tournament and allow them to uh, put themselves in great shape for selections for those 16 at-large berths. That to me, I think is really gonna be interesting, you guys. The fact that it's just a 48 team tournament this year, it's paired back because of COVID and that leaves only 16 at-large selections because they will still have the 32 automatic bids. So I think that was gonna, is going to be an interesting thing for the Big Ten to see uh, with only 16 at-large bids available, how many teams can they get in? And with no non-conference uh, competition, it's kind of impossible to know how you match up against these other conferences. So all these things are, are yet to play out and totally impossible to predict. Yeah, and a follow-up on having no non-conference season, we, Ben and I have talked about how that could really hurt Maryland and teams in the middle of the pack in the Big Ten when they're going up against these strongholds like Minnesota uh, and, and Penn State and Wisconsin. So how do you see those at the top of the Big Ten, like, like Minnesota, faring in the conference-only season? Uh, you know, that, I think, is going to be something that, that is going to be challenging for the Big Ten because we all know that this is such a deep conference, right? And that you can easily see these mid-pack teams come up and knock off the good teams, and the good teams knock each other off. I mean, it's so rare that we see a team come through the conference undefeated or with one loss. And, and in any given season, you can go so deep into the Big Ten standings in as far as those at-large bids. So it may leave them at a bit of a disadvantage in that regard, that, that they're going to be knocking each other off. It's going to be one of those typical Big Ten seasons where everybody is just bumping heads every single week. And I think it prepares them well for the conference, or for, pardon me, for the, the tournament. And yet, yeah, they're clearly not going to get as many teams into the tournament as they normally would. And, and reading some of your writing, I, I wanted to get into a, a little bit about the other sports that you cover, cover a lot of Olympic sports. And, and recently you've been writing about how some of those have, you know, come to meet their demise at, at Minnesota. How do you see the future of, of women's volleyball nationwide and, and men's volleyball collectively? Because they're considered Olympic sports, but I think uh, pretty popular in terms of non-revenue sports. Women's volleyball, I think, is is pretty safe. Uh, we all know that spectator-wise, it draws well. Uh, Big Ten Network, it does very well on television. The Big Ten Network audiences for, for volleyball have expanded just tremendously. They, they love that sport on television. Men's volleyball is a bit of a concern. I believe we saw Stanford drop their program. That was among the 11 sports that Stanford dropped earlier this year. It feels to me like anything that is not um, really drawing in a lot of spectators or translates well on television is really in jeopardy. I am afraid we've not seen the last of these, these drops that as COVID continues to impact the bottom line, 
and the earning power of some of the revenue programs that we're going to see more of these Olympic sports lost. So I think women's volleyball feels pretty solid to me, but, but men's volleyball, I, I worry about them. And, and Rachel, diving kind of back into the Big Ten as we head into a 2021 spring in 2019 fall, which was It'll be a long time until we play volleyball again, but that was the last season. You had the top fours, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Minnesota, Penn State, all with two or three losses. In the 2021 spring season this year, you kind of see that as still the upper echelon. Do you think that any of those four teams have dropped out or any team from kind of the middle of the pack that Kevin and I were talking about earlier, kind of jumping into that, that top tier of Big Ten teams? That still feels like the big four to me. I, I do think it's part of the fun of, of Big Ten volleyball is seeing if there is another team that can develop and challenge those four. I'm not sure I see a team right now that would supplant any of those as a definite top four team. There certainly are teams that could knock those, those groups off, but I, I just I, I feel like those four are still the big four this year. And if anything, they're probably all stronger. And kind of diving into this Minnesota team a little bit, you've covered them uh, for quite a while. It seems, at least from an outsider, from uh, someone who covers Maryland volleyball, that Hugh McCutcheon has a, a really crowded roster. It's a good problem to have. Uh, but you talked about players that you already mentioned, like Rollins, McGraw, and Pittman, and then you bring in the number one recruiting class. How does Hugh McCutcheon try to, try to balance all this talent that he, he seems to have on this roster? The way Hugh looks at this is, they have very intense practices at Minnesota and he lets them essentially sort it out themselves in practice. He's really careful. He talks about this every season that he doesn't come in with any preconceived notions about who is going to start, who is going to play, how he's going to deploy these players. He puts them against each other in practice, lets them scrimmage and lets them essentially determine it by how they perform there. And the players have a very good um, perspective on this. They, they tend to be tight-knit groups at Minnesota. They tend to be uh, close with one another. They help one another. But it's pretty fierce when they're facing off in practice. And I think they understand that there's not, um, there's really no favoritism there. There's not really a hierarchy that you have to prove yourself every day. And you don't get a lot of complaints from these players in terms of, of playing time or how they're being used because I, they, they think this is a fair system. And last thing for me, Rachel, now you have one of our own, Katie Myers, former Maryland Terrapin, through the transfer pool, came over to Minnesota and has two years left of eligibility. How do you see her fitting into Hugh McCutcheon's system? You know, I have not uh, looked a whole lot at Katie uh, to see what, uh, what, how she might um, fit in. It is a crowded group of newcomers here. Uh, we've got, uh, in fact, the, the Gophers just recently added um, – uh, another setter, Hunter Atherton, who uh, is probably going to, I would think, probably split time with uh, the top setter who came in, uh, Melanie Shaftmaster, who's uh, the, the, one of their hotshot freshmen. Middle blocker, uh, Myers, I think, is going to certainly strengthen them at that position. Pittman is very solid there. And uh, I, I think Katie Myers certainly has got uh, a, a shot at uh, – at, uh, a good position there, a good uh, amount of playing time there because she brings in so much experience. They're a little bit light on experience outside of Pittman in that group, having lost um, 
uh, Taylor Morgan from last year. So I think she's got a good shot, but it's it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out when uh, when when we finally start to see some matches. An insightful look into one of the premier programs in the Big Ten. Rachel, thanks so much for taking the time today. You're welcome. And our thanks to Rachel for taking the time to have a conversation with us. A lot of really insightful points that Rachel made, and it's going to be a weird 2021 spring, uh, but if we are able to get it in, then it will certainly be a fun one, Kevin. Yeah, I just want to say Rachel knows her stuff. I mean, uh, wherever you are, uh, wherever you are listening, you know, follow local sports reporters because they, they work hard and, you know, uh, for example, Rachel's covering, you know, Olympic sports at, at Minnesota and elsewhere. Uh, really important uh, for her is a lot of the, you know, winter Olympians that might be from the Minnesota area. And, you know, she, she writes stories uh, unlike you're not going to find on ESPN or somewhere else. So that was a really great conversation uh, to hear what it's like elsewhere outside of Maryland going on right now. And you can follow Rachel on Twitter uh, at, at Blount S. Trib, uh, so at uh, B-L-O-U-N-T-S-T-R-I-B. Give her a follow. Uh, she, she tweets all of her articles and some really, really interesting stuff. You know, kind of in this bubble of, of Maryland sports and what's happening at UMD and what's happening on the East Coast. And uh, to be able to hear from, uh, a pro to be able to hear about, should I say, a program like Minnesota uh, in, a, in a place like Minnesota uh, was awesome to hear. So our thanks, our thanks, our thanks to Rachel for that. A big week in Maryland volleyball as well in terms of the news. National Signing Day was this past week, and Maryland signed three new recruits, Aaron Engel, Aaron Morrissey, and Milan Gomillion. And we will have another episode coming up soon where we go a bit more in-depth into each of those players and what that could mean for the future of Maryland volleyball. But a big week in terms of the news for, for Maryland, Kevin. Yeah, with the volleyball roster, you know, um, 14, 15 players, you know, your recruiting class isn't that uh, that big. So, I mean, you're going to get two, three, four uh, players coming in each year. And I know this recruiting class of uh, 321s will, uh, they're going to come and they're going to make an impact on Maryland volleyball next season, uh, one way or another. Adam Hughes talked about how they're really going to help uh, Maryland on the first and second touch, uh, which is going to be really important when they don't have Nicole Alford uh, coming back because uh, she'll be graduating. And, you know, the new era of Maryland volleyball is going to be shuffled in here pretty soon. And Adam Hughes is very excited about it. Yeah, this is, these are Adam Hughes's players now. This is the system that he wants to implement. He's into his, his, his real system now uh, as the head coach of Maryland. He's working with his players now. Uh, as a head coach, and uh, those three players will definitely we, – we haven't heard the last of them, that, that's for sure, and they will be joining the Terps in College Park sooner rather than later, and we'll be talking about them facing off against teams like Wisconsin and Nebraska and Minnesota pretty soon. We also want to give a shout-out to Haley Murray. If you are a uh, Maryland volleyball fan over the past decade, then you will remember her as a former Terp and former All-Big Ten team member. Uh, from 2014 to 2017. She was just named as a volunteer assistant coach at Duquesne. So we want to give her a shout out and wish her the very best of luck there. We want to move now to the trivia question. We kind of gave it away, I realized, earlier this episode. But uh, what are you going to do? The question was, who is the last uh, ranked team that Maryland defeated? And it was that Michigan win uh, back in November of 2018. 
uh, the number 15 team in the country in Ann Arbor. We gave it away multiple times, I think, this, uh, this episode. But what are you going to do, Kevin? Yeah, you know, it was coming. It's been over a week since, you know, we asked the question about uh, the last ranked team that Maryland beat. And, you know, spoiler alert, uh, maybe we can put it in the description of the episode. It's Michigan, number 15 in 2018. That was a really exciting time for Maryland volleyball. I think that it, looking at Adam Hughes's run in 2018 and 2019, to me, that's still the signature win of the Adam Hughes era. Yeah, I would agree. And if they pulled off that upset of Penn State, you know, we'd be having maybe a different conversation. But you're right. That was totally a signature win for Adam Hughes and his team two years ago that was fighting for their life to get into the NCAA tournament. Didn't work out. Uh, but still, really, they were really proud of that victory. Yeah, a lot of people thought, especially given that that was on the road, that that was going to be the win that got him into the bracket. Didn't happen. But Certainly a, a win to be proud of and something to be built on, built on, should I say, uh, back in 2018. This week's question has to do a bit with National Signing Day recruits that we just talked about. A bonus question will be who wrote this trivia question. I don't think it's any doubt. Uh, because two of the new signees, uh, Aaron Engel and Aaron Morrison, are both from the state of Florida. Who else is from Florida? Ben is. Uh, who is the only ben member is. of the 2020 <laughs> roster that is from the Sunshine State? who is the only member of the 2020 roster that is from the Sunshine State. As always, the rules, no looking it up, no using Google, no using Bing, no using umterps.com. We might not know that you looked it up, but you will know, and it will haunt you forever. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you the answer to the other one now. I, I wrote it. I'm from Florida, too, so uh, that, that was a pretty easy one for me. Well, now we can't ask the trivia question next week, who is the only member of the WMUC volleyball crew in 2019 from the Sunshine State. Ben yeah, Curtis. We'll have to keep in our back pocket. People can go back to previous episodes, you know, maybe if some time expires, maybe in like April, when we're talking about some actual matches that are happening, uh, that, that we can circle back right. to that one. We'll, we'll keep it in our back pocket. Keep it in our back pocket. Uh, Kevin, this was a lot of fun. We got a lot done, looked at the rest of the Big Ten. I uh, was able to talk with Rachel, a shout out to the National Signing Day recruits that uh, Adam Hughes is able to bring in. We'll definitely be talking more about them in depth in the future on Block Party. Uh, but we were able to talk about a lot today on this episode. And so that will do it for us on Block Party. For Kevin, I'm Ben. We'll see you next time.